Welcome to Black Sparrow Radio, KBSR, transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas. You are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello, plant people. Hi, plant friends. Thank you for joining me in my backyard once again. Here at the Plow and Hose studio, which is, as always, on my back patio. (laughs) We had another really pretty week here in Central Texas, especially here in Taylor. We've had cool nights, and then they gradually warm up to really nice afternoons. And it's just been, you know, really pleasant. I don't know about y'all, but I do find kind of this temperature combination of cool nights and warm days to be really invigorating and I don't know maybe that's not the best word to really describe it maybe stimulating I don't don't know I'm not really sure what the perfect word is to describe how I feel but I feel happy and creative and really curious about um, what's going on in my backyard and I just feel really inspired to do fun things around my house and, of course, in the garden. The overnight uh, temperatures that are cooler, much, much cooler, um, it does make it a bit hard for me to get out of bed in the morning, um, for sure. But once I finally get out of bed, um, that cool air kind of snaps me um, into... Uh, getting a little more motivated, um, getting the day started, and I really hope I can get all kinds of things done. Now, all that I really need is just some more time and some more money to do all the things that I want to do, but we'll get there. It'll happen. Anyway, around my backyard, um, and I'm all over Taylor in Central Texas, it's starting to slow down. Things are slowing down in the backyard. The grass is starting to go dormant. It's still still quite green, but it's slowed down, and um, it really is not going to be need to be cut for quite a while. And the trees are really starting to shed their leaves. They're dropping like crazy just in the lawn, on the driveway, over here I can see some right here in the patio everywhere and in just a couple more weeks it's really going to look pretty brown and kind of bare that's cool right we got to change with the seasons I didn't plant as much in my winter garden as my summer garden so the backyard garden looks kind of empty right now but that's okay it is springtime um, because in um, the springtime and the summertime when everything is blooming and green and lush and growing and producing, I am much more focused on keeping all the things watered and weeded and everything else that it takes to keep it all alive and productive. But right now, it's a lot easier to see my yard's potential in the late fall and winter. I don't get distracted by what needs to be done, and I can spend more time reflecting 
um, what I really would like to do differently or what I want to add in the springtime. Next year, I for sure want to redo these flower beds because they've gotten totally neglected between all the craziness with COVID and having to homeschool kids and just regular life. It's gotten a little kind of crazy back here and I really want to redo some of these flower beds and get them um, refreshed. Um, vegetable garden, it looks great, but I gotta, gotta think about those uh, flower beds for sure. We are also going to be replacing some trees that we lost thanks to last February's um, freeze. But overall, I think the main thing that I want to do is just make things easier. That's all I want. I just want an easy, easy garden. Now, one topic that has been inspiring me lately is permaculture. Permaculture is a concept in agriculture and landscape design that optimizes outdoor space so that you can incorporate more sustainable growing practices and become more self-sufficient. Basically, it's providing yourself with food and shelter in a way that is easy, productive, and minimizes harm to the earth. Principles of permaculture have been around forever. I mean, really since people started intentionally growing things. If it made life easier and improved food production, then it became a standard practice. You know, people would tell each other, this is the best way to do things, so let's do them this way. And most concepts are really simple things like put your garden close to your water source. That way, it's a whole lot easier to water your garden. Now, over the centuries, growing practices um, have changed as people have become more mobile and more modern. And nowadays, fewer and fewer people grow um, their own food. And thanks to um, industrialization, we have become very efficient in growing food, thanks primarily to agricultural chemicals and then innovations in machinery. It wasn't really until the 70s when the term permaculture became like an official thing where, you know, people started kind of like formalizing practices and then documenting it and then also teaching others and promoting it. Now, back in the 60s and 70s, there was like this big back to nature movement. And that was a response to post-World War II industrialization of agriculture combined with social turmoil and a growing pollution problem. And then plus um, the energy issues from back in the 70s. You know, back then folks were like, I don't know about this. There are some really good things about industrial scale farming. We can grow a lot more food for people and also more food for animals. But with all this food came changes in the way that people perceive food in our society. 
We have so much prepackaged foods, and those things are really great and convenient, but they're more expensive. And conventional farming, industrial farming, has created a great big dependence on synthetic agricultural chemicals and all kind of all those issues that um, are associated with agricultural chemicals. Also, because um, we've kind of adapted to growing things on a much larger um, scale, we grow less um, varieties. So as far as fresh fresh produce goes, there really is a whole lot less variety available to us now. I don't really want to get into the politics that were taking place back then, but they also played a, a part in global food and feed production. And there were so many issues with pollution and some folks just started recognizing that they had to change and we just could not keep going and doing the, th- the things the same way and a lot of folks were also looking to reconnect with nature and hoping to heal the earth food is really really important of course we got to have it to survive but one of the things that we don't think about a whole lot is the fact that access to nutritious and inexpensive food is so important to creating personal independence. Having the knowledge and the ability to grow your own food, even if it's just a little bit, it's so incredibly empowering. And so, I mean, just from a personal standpoint, I think it's like really cool that I can like go out there and um, grow some things and have some nice healthy food to feed my family. So I can really understand the appeal of that whole back to nature movement and just having the skills and the knowledge to grow your own food and knowing that you and your family aren't going to starve. If you just take a little responsibility for growing your own food, it is really, really incredibly powerful. Permaculture that we know it today was spearheaded by an Australian researcher named Bill Mollison, who said that it stood for permanent agriculture, meaning earth-friendly practices that allow us to grow things in ways that cause the least amount of harm to the environment, but provide the best results. So basically food production with maximum results but minimal impact to the environment. Bill Mollison researched and studied all kinds of ecosystems and farming practices, and he came up with 12 principles of permaculture. And unfortunately, there's no way I'm going to be able to get into all the details of those 12 principles today. And honestly, I really did try to get enthusiastic about his research. I just found it to be really intense and very dense. And every attempt that I made of like studying his work, I just ended up thinking, oh my God, 
he makes backyard basic gardening super complicated sounding. So anyway, um, if you have ever looked up permaculture on the internet, then you are probably already with um, already familiar with how much information is out there. There is everything from university-based research all the way down to backyard permaculture blogs. If you've never looked it up, just trust me, there is a lot of information and it can be completely overwhelming. But you know what? It can also be really inspiring and today I hope that I might be able to give you all my little overview and maybe that will inspire you to incorporate some permaculture ideas and projects in your garden. Permaculture attempts to increase crop yield while minimizing work through thoughtful design. Now, as a former supply chain manager, permaculture appeals to me since both permaculture and supply chain management, they both strive to improve results and reduce waste while saving time and money. And I am all about making things easier this year. Permaculture design principles take advantage of your surroundings while leveraging your natural resources. So no two properties are ever exactly the same, but elements of permaculture can always work no matter your lifestyle because permaculture is all based on your personal space. Your yard is your very own personal ecosystem. Pretty cool. You might even be doing some permaculture already and not even realize it. If you have a compost pile or collecting rainwater, then you're already doing some permaculture. So surprise, you're already a permie. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music all coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends. You can also um, head over to where you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Hose show. If you like the flexibility of being able to play pause and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and please go ahead and just leave a little review. It's super quick. Just click on the stars, type up a sentence about what you like about the show and hit submit. It's so easy. And this is really gonna help others naturally, organically find the show. And then also downloading those episodes helps provide me with some show statistics. Also, real quick, if you live in the Taylor area, check out the Taylor, Texas Backyard Gardeners Facebook group. We are a nice little group made up of local folks who love all types of plants. If you're interested in growing things in Central Texas, it's a nice place to meet local folks and find out what's going on in their backyards. I am just always really amazed by the wonderful gardens and creative solutions that people come up with. It's such a diverse group too. I mean, we have everybody from brand new beginner gardeners all the way up to master gardeners. 
And I think it's just a joy to see um, pictures of people's flowers and their gardens. And of course, it's always fun to interact with other plant people. Okay, let's get back to that permaculture. Um, I want to talk about it some. Permaculture can be as complex or as simple as you want it to be. You can have the ultimate permaculture system that will allow you to be completely self-sustaining with zero waste and you can be totally off the grid and pretty much ready for any sort of apocalypse that uh, might come your way. But you don't have to. You can just incorporate a few concepts that make tending your garden easier and a little more environmentally friendly. So permaculture allows you allows people to be full on prepper. You could tone it down and just be a whole lot of hippy dippy or just a little bit crunchy. It's all up to you. But the main two things about permaculture is being patient and observant. Those are really the only skills that you need for starting out with permaculture. Everything else you can learn. So take some time and get familiar with your property. You're going to want to learn how much sunlight the different areas of your yard gets. And you also want to see how the light changes with the seasons. You want to know what your soil conditions are. Do you have any drainage issues? You want to know that. What are, what's currently growing? What do you want to grow? What can you do to make the least amount of change, but get the greatest impact? Start by taking some notes and and make some sketches of your property. Be sure to include your house and any other existing um, buildings like sheds. And then also make notes where all your trees are. And don't forget to mark your water sources. Because in my experience with any garden design changes, always think about your water source and where it is and... Ask yourself if it's going to be close enough for what you want to do. I've made that mistake before putting in new beds or new trees and then having to drag that stupid hose around. Or worse, like when we built our chicken coop, the faucet was so far away from the coop, it was so freaking annoying to have to carry five gallons of water every day to the coop it was just so stupid but luckily we were able to find a guy who could tie into the sprinkler system and then he put a hose bib out there next to the chickens so luckily it wasn't very expensive either but that's just a good example of how taking some time to get to know your property will pay off and you can make smarter decisions on incorporating permaculture projects Now, there are two permaculture practices that everyone can use no matter where you live. Zoning and stacking. Zoning is dividing your property into different areas. Stacking is creating multi-purpose functions into your projects. Zoning is super easy. It's just defining areas in your yard for your permaculture projects. You can have any number of zones, but your house, your home, is always considered your first zone, and then the various outdoor features and projects 
are in different zones and that are you add like another zone the further you get away from the house so examples of zoning in permaculture so let's start off with the house you live and work inside your home that's going to be zone one any project that physically attaches to your house is also in zone one so if you have like a rain barrel and gutters those um capture the rainwater from your roof those are going to be in zone one a patio kitchen garden like with herbs and container grown crops like lettuces that you have just outside your back door those would be in zone two this little garden is easily accessible and close to the house but it's independent from the building a larger in-ground garden with your larger plants like corn and tomatoes would be further away from your house and patio and those would be in another zone zone three so they kind of radiate out the further away you are from the the house you get a different zone number now let's say if you have a chicken coop that would be another zone because you wouldn't want your chickens in your garden and just trust me on that one they can be near your garden but they will destroy a garden in no time flat if you let them they will tear it up and they're going to eat the plants and they'll scratch up the soil just looking for bugs if you don't want that to happen make sure your chickens can't free range in your garden so in this scenario in ground garden is zone three but then the chicken coop would be zone four Now, in addition to your in-ground garden and your chicken coop, maybe you want to add like a small orchard. Those fruit trees would need to be further away from the house. So they would be in zone five. Fruit trees don't need your daily attention for most of the year. So being further away from the house makes more sense and don't have to be close as things in zone five two and zone one so when it comes to dividing your house and permaculture projects into zones the more daily activity your project needs the closer it needs to be to the house you're going to be much more likely to tend to your garden and your chickens the closer they are to you now a shed or a greenhouse it can be placed further away from your house especially if you don't plan to use it daily, save that space for something else that needs more attention. Dividing your property into distinct zones will help you plan your permaculture projects too. But just remember that anything that needs more attention needs to be closer to the heart of the house. Okay, so I had talked about zoning as one of the two basic principles that I wanted to um, mention on today's show, but let's move on to the next one, and that one is stacking. Stacking is simply creating projects that have several different purposes. Most permaculture projects are multi-purpose, and increasing efficiency and making life easier 
is the greatest selling point of permaculture, at least it is for me. I mean, who doesn't want to expend the least amount of effort and get better results? Anyway, composting is the ultimate permaculture project. If you don't do anything in your garden, but you maintain a compost pile and use the finished compost in your garden, then you're already doing permaculture. Compost keeps plants. Um, compost keeps plant waste, kitchen scraps, leaves, yard clippings, and most paper products out of the landfill. Nature breaks down all the things in your pile and transforms it into a really valuable soil amendment that feeds your plants. So even the most basic compost pile serves two functions, two stacked functions. It keeps waste out of the landfill, and two, it recycles it into free plant food. Fruit trees are another example of permaculture stacking. Once they get established, fruit trees provide food year after year, and they create shade that can reduce your energy bill and... They also add beauty to your landscape. So food, shade, and beauty, that's a three-tiered example of stacking. Fences also provide opportunities for permaculture stacking. Fences can be used to separate and define spaces. They provide privacy and they can provide shade. And you can use them as a trellis for vining plants. If the vines have flowers, that, add, that adds beauty. If the vines produce fruit or vegetables like squash or blackberries, that's another function that you get to count. If you're short on space, you can add a trellis or a metal cattle panel to any raised bed and garden vertically. Vertical gardening saves space while providing food and it's another example of multi-purpose stacking. I mentioned um, those fruit trees being multi-purpose and multifunctional. Other plants can be multi-purpose too if they are ornamental and edible. So like roses and sunflowers, they are all grown for their pretty flowers, but the flowers are also edible. Sunflowers, of course, are grown for their sunflower seeds, but the entire plant is completely edible. The petals, the seeds, even the um, leaves and the roots can be eaten. So just tuck that little bit of knowledge in the back of your head in case you ever find yourself really, really hungry in the middle of a sunflower field. Some other permaculture projects that you can incorporate at your house are raised bed lasagna gardens, vermiculture, and keeping small animals like chickens and rabbits. Lasagna gardening is the ultimate recycling project. You can create wonderful soil using alternating layers of compostable material like cardboard, grass clippings, kitchen scraps, leaves, and twigs. You just create your raised bed, then you add your layers and throw in some compost and some topsoil in between those layers and then just let nature do its thing. All the soil microbes and soil critters will be busy breaking down the layers and creating rich soil 
that your plants are going to love. If this sounds like something that you're interested in doing, start saving cardboard and newspaper and leaves. This time of year is great if you want to try lasagna gardening. Just set up a raised bed. As you get boxes and paper, just put those in your empty raised bed. Take your kitchen scraps and throw those in the raised bed. And every now and then dump a shovel full of finished compost in there too. And by the time springtime comes around, you'll have a nice base to work with. Just add some good top soil on, um, add some good soil on top and you'll be ready to plant. It's a really, really economical um, way to have a raised bed without having to buy a whole bunch of uh, soil to put in it. So maybe you're just starting out with gardening and you haven't quite decided where to put your compost pile or maybe you live by yourself and you don't really have a lot of kitchen scraps or you live in a rental place and you can't really have a big compost pile. Don't worry about it. That doesn't mean that you have to put your kitchen scraps in the trash. You can set up a really simple vermiculture setup to keep under your sink. So for those who are unfamiliar with vermiculture, well, it's just worms. It's keeping worms in your house on purpose. And it's really cool and really, really easy. So no excuses for not composting because you don't have room. All you need is a plastic tub with a lid with some air holes poked in the top. Just make a space for your worm bin in a cool dark space like utility closet or under your sink. The only other things that you're gonna need are shredded paper, some worms, and some kitchen scraps. Worms love shredded newspaper, but paper bags and other household paper shreds are gonna work too. As far as the worms go, you could spend some time digging in the ground for earthworms, or if you live near a bait shop, you can go get some bait worms. But if you don't, you can just always order worms off the internet. It is possible, I just checked. So there you go. You have zero excuses for not trying vermiculture. All you gotta do is put shredded paper in your worm bin. Put your worms on top, add some of your kitchen scraps like apple cores and banana peels or wilted lettuce, and then put a lid on it, stick it in your closet or under your sink, and set a reminder on your phone or on your calendar to check it every two or three weeks. Those worms are gonna start gobbling up those kitchen scraps and the shredded paper, and then they poop out the most wonderful worm castings that plants just absolutely love. And this is so, so simple, it's so easy. Once you get your worm bin set up and your space, the worms do everything. As long as you don't put too many kitchen scraps in your worm bin, you're not even gonna notice any odor. If you put too much food in your worm bin, more than the worms can eat right away, then there is a chance that that smell um, 
will come from um, rotting food and um, it's decaying food that can attract fruit flies so just don't overdo the scraps you can always check on your worm bin more frequently and as the scraps add scraps as they disappear and in three to six months you're gonna have some really great worm castings that you can use outside on your outside plants and you can even use it in on your indoor plants worms aren't the only critters that you can add to your permaculture project rabbits and chickens are also great if you're able to have them some communities and neighborhood associations don't allow you to keep chickens so be sure to check your local city ordinances or your homeowners association rules even if your city allows chickens and coops a hoa may have restrictions so be sure to check it out before you get any backyard birds if you decide to get chickens that's awesome i really love having chickens they are so entertaining and of course we get eggs from a permaculture perspective they are an awesome addition to your little homestead not only do they give you fresh eggs they can help you turn your soil reduce insects and their manure can be added to the compost pile so that's a four level stacking function for a um, permaculture project now chicken manure does um, it has to be put in the compost pile and allowed to break down before you can use it in your garden and on your plants chickens are omnivores and they eat pretty much anything they eat plants insects small creatures like lizards even baby mice and baby snakes because they eat such a variety of food their droppings contain pathogens that can make people sick now pathogens like salmonella don't survive for extended periods out in an active compost pile so it's pretty low risk for that but Chicken poop also contains a whole lot of nitrogen, so you have to let it decompose out in the compost pile for at least 80 days before you can use it in the garden. If you don't, you can run the risk of burning your plants with too much nitrogen, but it's easy. You just leave it out in the compost and it's gonna break down nicely. And in a few months, you'll have some really great compost for your plants. If you are interested in adding a small flock, start doing your research even before you buy any chicks or even build a coop because chickens are a whole lot of work and you have to be 100% committed to caring for them. I think they're worth it because they really are a whole lot of fun. Like I said earlier in the show, permaculture can be complex or simple just depends on what you want but no matter what projects you choose to incorporate in your garden permaculture can make things easier and your garden much more productive well thank you so much for joining me today on plow and hose on kbsr black Spirit radio thanksgiving is coming up and i want to let y'all know that i am so glad to have the opportunity to have this show and i'm especially grateful for all of you 
who turn, tune in, who download the podcast. I really appreciate all y'all for being so supportive. I hope you have a wonderful week and a lovely holiday. And we'll visit again next time. Bye.